Lord, open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have for us today and give us lives that are ready to listen and act on you with what you would say to us. Amen. Please do have a seat. I was just joking that, you know, maybe our low numbers today, it's all the murderers who don't want to face this sermon who have decided not to come. Hopefully not. <laughs> but it's a, it's a big subject, isn't it? Because quite often people think, oh, you know, it's only a little thing I've done wrong. You know, it's not as bad as murder or people who are really bad. And yet, actually... When we look at what the Bible has to say about murder, maybe we'll think again from saying things like that. We are made in the image of God. And that was brought in that passage from Noah, wasn't it? Where God was saying, look, you're made in my image. You must not kill somebody else. We did an inter- a really interesting exercise at IME, which is my continual ministerial education. It's not often you'll hear me say that sentence, that it was interesting. But we had to think of words to describe... We're talking about personality, this module. And we had to talk of words that described different people, somebody that we respected and looked up to in life or that we were close to. So we wrote this long, long list of descriptive words on a on a piece of flip chart paper. And then we had this diamond shape and we had to pick nine of those words to describe ourselves. And then when we'd done that, we had to turn over the piece of paper and then he got us to use the same list of words to describe God. And it was interesting because some people found that describing themselves really difficult and the God really easy. And for others, it was totally the opposite way round. They, they were like, how can I describe God in these kind of personality, character kind of words? It felt odd, alien, to use words that weren't all of the sort of the holy, righteous, you know, the words we would normally use. And then we were asked to look at which words overlapped. And some people were like, oh! But, you know, how can I be described in the same kind of way as God? That's terrible. God is holy. God is kind of other. He's so different from us. And then we were challenged, saying, yes. However, if we believe, as we are told, that we are made in the image of God, then surely there should be overlap between how our characters are and how God's character is. If we're people of faith, who is getting goal, God to, to mould them, to become more like him. If we're asking the Holy Spirit to help us to become more like Jesus, then surely more and more of those words should fit us too. It was really quite interesting to see some people's preconceptions slightly blown away by that. And that is why murder is so repugnant to God. Because we are 
made in his image. Every single one of us. It's hard enough to imagine that that's right for for me, for you. Let alone to imagine that that was right for all the people we know of who have committed heinous crimes in the present and in the past. And yet, God can love those that we find unlovable. He sees every single one of us through the eyes of a father's love. That love that keeps going, that perseveres in hope, even when everyone else has given up. God never does give up on anyone. Now, the thing I find really hard is if somebody's being mean to one of my kids. Usually that's the other one. <laughs> like, poor, oh, poor Florence. Chloe was like pulling her eyes like this. I was like, really? It's really not nice. That's unkind. And she wouldn't stop. And it made me really angry because she was hurting my baby. And yet, I love Chloe <laughs> to the depth of my being too. And you have this real sort of being pulled apart because then Chloe was in floods of tears realising what she'd done and Flo was and, and you're kind of split between the two of them. Actually, it must be like that for God, mustn't it? When we have gripes because God has that same fierce, protective, parental kind of love for each one of us. So why, why does it all go wrong? I was listening to um, J. John, who's preached. He did this big series about, it called Just Ten, about the Ten Commandments. And he would spin them to being positive things. And in fact, for something like I do not murder, for that one, they ended up, when they, they preached these big sermons all over, and they ended up having skips, I think it was this one, where they had these skips And they encouraged, in big cities, people to bring their unregistered guns and knives and things like that that they really shouldn't be having. And after after they preached these things, then these skips were kind of full. The police had to be very careful in making sure it was guarded. Take away. What is it that makes people want to feel safe by by having a gun or a knife or something. We live in such an angry kind of society, don't we? Now, J. John talks of three types of anger. And I thought that was quite interesting, because the obvious one is those who have a manic kind of anger, those that explode at the slightest thing. We all know people like that, don't we? First murder... In the Bible, Cain and Abel, craze of anger, made him take the life of his brother. But, as they say, people who blow a fuse are always left in the dark. That's the obvious kind of anger, but it's not, it's not the only form. And it's not always the most dangerous form. Because you also have the mutes. The, no, I'm not angry with you. And you can see the vein <laughs> artery going. When we bury anger inside, we bury it alive, as they say, 
So often that can actually turn into physical problems, high blood pressure, obviously. And that can lead to heart attacks, to strokes, people who live with that kind of stress and that anger inside. It has an effect, doesn't it, on the way that they are. And then you have the manipulators. You know, the wife that burns his breakfast on purpose. That kind of underhand retaliation. The jibes, the hurtful humour. The people who just will never let it go. That kind of anger, you know, can just go on. Well, you see it, don't you, in families. Families who feud. Neighbours who haven't spoken to each other for decades. All because somebody forgot to return the flower they borrowed, you know, ten years ago. All of those things brood under the surface, don't they? In our lives, in the lives of people around us. We can recognise people who fall into every one of those categories, can't we? And actually, that does have an impact. Because when we hear what Jesus has to say about murder, it makes it come a little bit uncomfortably close to home. He goes deeper than just talking about that final murderous action. He's saying the sin isn't just in committing that act. It's about our attitudes that lead to those actions. Those attitudes that cause harm are just as bad. Attitudes like racism, all of those kind of isms, where we think somebody, because of their looks, because of their beliefs, they're not as good as us. And yet, every single person is made in the image of God. Murder, of course, is the ultimate form of anger. And we need to have it under control. But there's a challenge, isn't there, in this? Actually, have we committed murder in our attitudes, in our thoughts? We live in a country where... I'm not going to give you all the statistics because reading the statistics almost made me cry. The year 2011 to 2012, the statistics show... On average, two women a week are killed by a male partner or former partner in our country. Two women a week. That's around a third of all female homicide victims. 31% of women and 18% of men have experienced domestic abuse since the age of 16. That's 5 million women and 2.9 million men And actually, they're the ones that get forgotten in this, I think. I think it's actually much harder for the guys to admit that there's a problem than it is for the women. And it doesn't stop there, does it? We see racism. We live in fear of terror attacks. You know, when you see the guards at the Sochi Olympics and things like that, we live in that kind of fear because of that terror, because of that anger that there is in the communities around us. I don't know about you, but even thinking about it makes me angry. So let's consider 
these two quotes and how they speak into that, what we see around us. Firstly, Jesus was talking about what makes people clean and unclean. In Matthew 15, he says, Don't you see? Whatever enters the mouth goes in the stomach and out the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. Eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. And a second quote. Attributed, well, I found it to Gandhi, although I have seen the same quote attributed to quite a lot of people. So it may or may not be him. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your values. Your values become your destiny. Jesus makes it very clear, doesn't it, that every criminal act starts in your heart. It starts with what you think about. Controlling, controlling what we think about controls our attitudes and our actions and our habits and our values and our destiny. And it all comes back to controlling our thoughts, actually, doesn't it? And yet, the interesting thing is I missed the first one off the maybe Gandhi quote. The first bit said, your beliefs become your thoughts. And that's what made that quote stick out from the others. How true it is. Because what we believe does make a difference to what we think, to how we think, to how our attitudes develop. And the good news is, because that's the start of the chain, actually, we can break the cycle before it starts. How? Through the Holy Spirit. When we invite the Spirit in, we all know those fruits that we start to see in people's lives. When God is working in people's lives, we do become more like him. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So how can we control that anger inside? We all have it. We've all driven down, down one of the little roads in Barrow or Dalton where somebody's not stopped in the their right place and we've had to reverse and it's been awkward and you're kind of yeah I've committed murder in my heart probably more since Chloe started at Dane Gill than ever before so how what principles can we have to control the anger before it starts so it can't escalate firstly I've stolen most of these off J. John is admitting anger to yourself and to God and to others. It's complicated, actually. 
Anger isn't always wrong. It's not as simple as saying, all anger is wrong. We should be happy, peaceful people all the time. Because otherwise, our Bibles would make no sense. God gets angry. God gets really angry. In the Bible, there's about 450 times where God gets angry. And about 375 of those is God being legitimately angry. For example, when Jesus went into the temple and he just couldn't bear seeing all of these money changers and things going on in God's house that shouldn't be. It's right to be angry. There's a lot of stuff in the news at the moment, isn't there, about the female genital mutilation. It's right to be angry. It's right to be angry about these things. People shouldn't be hurt in such a way. But we need to express that anger in ways that are not destructive, in ways that will lead to change, in ways that will educate in ways that will lead to a positive result. The other thing is to deal with it immediately. As they say, you can't shake hands with a clenched fist. The Bible talks about not letting the sun go down on your anger. With anyone who's been married has probably been there where you don't, you don't listen to that. And you go to bed and you can't get to sleep because you're just sitting there thinking. And then they start snoring and then that just compounds the issue. We've all been there. Hopefully some of you aren't quite as bad as me. It's not good, is it? The anger ferments to hate in your heart and it leads you to doing bad things. Vengeance is not ours. Vengeance is the Lord's. We need to deal with it. And to understand it, where, where does the anger come from? What's, what's beneath the anger? J. John talks about under everything of anger, there is a hen. Because anger is often usually covering a hurt. It's hurt that makes us angry. And under that hurt, there is an expectation that hasn't been met. And under that expectation, there's a need. Quite often, there's a need that's not been met, an expectation and a hurt. What is it that's at the source of that anger? Because if we don't cut things out at the root, we'll never actually deal with it. If you've got a wound that's festering, You've got to get the bugs out. You can't just put a plaster over it and say, oh, that's better, because it'll go disgusting. You need to deal with the real root of the issue to get it right. We need to stop and think. If we keep our mouth shut, we can't put our foot in it. When we're angry, we say silly things. I like this quote. It's like, speak when you're angry and you'll make the best speech that you'll ever regret. And it's true, isn't it? And that's worst thing with email these days as well, isn't it? Never, ever, ever write an email after about eight, nine o'clock at night. Especially if you're angry. It's, I've seen too many people hurt 
because somebody's got angry at something, fired off an email at sort of midnight, one o'clock in the morning, when their judgment isn't at its best, (laughs) and voomph, it's gone, it's out there. The person hasn't stopped and thought before they've sent it off, and then you can't take it back. I've added my own one, which is repent. Not just to say sorry, but to commit to moving away from the habits and the situations that feed that anger. How do I know God can transform us so deeply, turn us around so much when we've really messed up? Well, we don't have to look very far, do we? Moses, he murdered the guard, didn't he? David, he had his, the woman he fancied, he had her husband killed so he could marry the man's wife. Paul, he was zealous at being out there encouraging the murder of Christians before God turned him round. And it all comes back to where we started. The key is to ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we can grow those fruits of God in our life. That love, that joy, that peace. Importantly, that self-control. Every criminal act does start in the heart. But Jesus can transform and does transform that bitterness to forgiveness. All of our actions and attitudes, my actions, have all led up to that crucifixion of Jesus. He was murdered so we could be transformed from those who can be angry and bitter and resentful to those who are life givers. So today, let us commit to being a people who repent of those bitter, angry thoughts that are unwholesome and lead us into sin and ask God to continue his work of transforming us by his spirit to be more like him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, help us to turn away from all of those unhealthy thoughts and attitudes. By your Holy Spirit, please cleanse us and grow in us those fruits that would transform our characters to be people that exude that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Help us to seize our own destiny in you. Amen.